Amen. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 8 to verse 20. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we desire to join the angels of heaven in celebrating and worshiping this great gift that has been given to us, this good news for all the world that a Savior has been born Even as we come together this morning, under the authority of your word, Lord, through your spirit, speak into our hearts and cause our hearts, Lord, to continue in celebration and in worship for this great gift that has been given to us, apprehended only by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Some of the things that we might consider in the value of an item, it's how it's manufactured and its supply. Right? How hard is it to produce this object? And is it difficult? Is it hard? Is it rare? And how much people want this item? Because the more of the item there is, right, the less valuable it becomes. There's a reason why diamonds are so expensive, because they're hard to produce, they're hard to find. And there are so few of them, and yet there are so many people who desire and want them. And so in that sense, you have sort of this objective value placed upon an object such as a diamond. But just because a diamond has this objective value about it doesn't mean that it holds the same value to each and every person without exception. Take, for instance, this quite a 
I find it quite ludicrous, but you might be surprised to hear that just recently that Steve Jobs' sandals recently sold at auction for $220,000, which is quite outrageous, and quite frankly, I find that to be quite disgusting to wear another, to you know, own somebody else's sandals. But somebody clearly thought that this had that kind of value, whereas for probably most of us, if not all of us, we might think, no, a pair of sandals does not have that kind of value. We would never pay anything remotely close to a pair of sandals or for a pair of sandals. But you can kind of see how the value of something can be pretty subjective based on the person. Just because one person might value a gift, that might mean something totally different to somebody else. Even though the object itself might have a lot of value to it. Even if you could afford to buy an expensive diamond, you might still think that it's not worth buying. When it comes to the value of an item, or the value of a moment, or the value of a person, or the value of an event, the value of something can sometimes be seen in the number of people who participate in ascribing value to that one event, or person, or object. And you can see that in, in some ways in how people might worship. So we come to this passage this morning as we think about the holidays, which is a wonderful time full of celebration, gathered, gathering together with family, receiving gifts and giving gifts. But it also a time, it can be a time of distraction, especially for us as believers may distract us from the greatest gift that God has given to us, and that is His Son. And this passage points us to the nature of worship, and the nature of worship is that it is both celebratory and it's also participatory. And we see both of these things in this passage, and both of those things come together in worship directed to a particular object that is worthy of being celebrated and is worthy of our participating in worship. So firstly, as we direct our attention to this passage, there's an invitation to celebrate and participate. Consider the nature of worship. Worship, by nature, is a response. It is something that you do in response to something that you treasure, something that you value, something that you prize. And worship is oftentimes a reflection of what you value. And so you worship what you value. And you can tell a lot about what, how you value something based on a number of factors. Like, for example, how much time do you dedicate to a particular object or an event or an item? Do you give a lot of attention and time to it? How often do you talk about it? Do you delight talking about this object? Or how about your thoughts? Do you, can, do you spend a lot of mental energy thinking about this particular event or item or person, these things can help determine how much you value this thing or these things. And worship is a form of celebration. What you value, you also celebrate. So take, for instance, a sports team, right? If you enjoy watching the Red Sox and you want to go see them play in person, then you will make the time. 
You will spend the money to purchase tickets. You will go and you will applaud every time they score. Right? And you do that, and that's a natural response. You do that because you value the game. You value the team. And worship is something that you cannot help but do. When you appreciate something, what completes the appreciation is when you actually worship in some way. Sometimes it's applause, sometimes it's standing ovation, sometimes it's just complete silence. Right? So if you were to stand before the Grand Canyon, perhaps, people might respond to that in different ways. For some, they sit still. They don't have any words to describe what they see before them. They try to, to take it all in. That's all a form of worship. Some will take money upon many pictures. That's also a form of worship. Or listen to your favorite musician play at a concert. You stand, you applaud, and you also sing with them. That's a form of worship. You are celebrating that which you value. In Exodus 32 after the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they desired to worship. And so they go to Aaron, Moses' second in command, and it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him the desire to worship something. We want to worship something. Who is this God that has saved us? And so they create this image. And in response, if you continue to read, they get up and they play, which essentially means they indulge in sin and they worship. They subject themselves to a wrong kind of worship, sinful worship, and worshiping the wrong thing but it came out of a desire to worship. And so once they receive their golden image, their God, they respond in adoration. And so worship is celebratory, but worship is also participatory. Not only do we want to enjoy things that we value, but we sometimes also invite others as well to join us. Right, so if I enjoy a game and I know somebody else who enjoys a the game, then I will invite the person with me because it only enhances the experience to be able to enjoy something that you value with someone else. And the astounding thing is, is that nobody thinks there's anything wrong with that. Right, nobody thinks it's selfish, like, oh, why would I go and buy this ticket to go see this team or to see this concert, to see these people play? Like, that's so selfish of them that they would invite me to come and worship with them. Or take a wedding, wedding celebration or a wedding invitation. The couple sends out the RSVPs, the, the, the invitation, and you receive the RSVP. Here's who's getting married. Here's the date. Right? Nobody sees that invitation and says, wow, that's so egotistical of them. Nobody says, wow, that's so selfish of them that he would invite me to come and make much of them and see them put up on this pedestal and worship them. That way we have no... Nothing wrong. We don't see anything wrong with that. Because we can tell the difference between someone who wants to just make much of themselves and being, and being invited to take part in a celebration. And so we consider it a joy to take part in this event, such as a wedding. You can tell a lot about how much 
value a person ascribes to an object by how they respond to that object. Which takes us to thinking about gifts and the value of a gift. Because how we value of a gift can also be a worshipful response. The holiday season is a wonderful season, and yet it can also be a notorious holiday as well. Because during the holiday season, not only do we receive things that we desire, but we also tend to receive things that we don't really care for. Things that are not really valuable to us, that might be valuable to somebody else. Or it's a holiday season when we feel like we are obliged to give somebody a gift that we don't really want to give a gift to. Either because we know this person is going to give us something, and so we feel obliged to return in favor. Or... Maybe it's somebody you don't think is deserving a particular gift, but you do it because you sort of have to. Sometimes we give very little thought. Like, oh, just get something, it's just done it, off the list, it's done, it's over with. I can move on to thinking about something else. There's this scene in, in the Grinch movie, the Jim Carrey's rendition of of the Grinch, where he is, the Grinch is in the town square, and he's talking to all the people, and he's talking about how they make much of the holiday season, how, much, how they make much of giving gifts to one another, and yet, where do they, most of those gifts end up? They end up in the dump where he lives. Right, people, and you might have said this yourself, well, it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. It doesn't matter what the gift is. the thought that counts until you actually unwrap the gift that's been given to you, and then it's not really a value to you then, is it? And then what do we typically do with gifts that we don't have any value for or, we can't, or have any use for? Right, it's no shame in admitting it that we will probably try to figure out where the, the gift was purchased and try to return it for cash, or we'll donate it to Goodwill. So certainly, certainly thought matters, thoughtfulness matters, but value matters as well. And I'm not talking about how much money you spend, though sometimes to be thoughtful requires to spend a little bit more than you expected. But I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about the usefulness of the gift. Right? Can you use it? Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Will it help you complete certain tasks? That helps determine the value of the gift. And then how we respond can tell us a lot about how much we value that gift. And when we receive something that we value, right, sometimes we'll invite others to participate as well. Right, we'll say, look at what I received, because you enjoy it, because you love it. We thought it was really thoughtful, and you invite somebody else. Hey, look and behold this, and it's not egotistical, and it's not selfish, but you want others to join you in participating as well. I mean, kids naturally do this themselves. When they receive something, or they do something, they usually tell other people about it as well, because they want you to be happy with them. That's a natural human response, especially when something has made an impression upon our affections, which then produces an action. So then thinking about this passage, in verse 10, 
Again, it says, The angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this is an invitation to come and prize and value something that is worth valuing and something worth prizing. What is this object? And the angel says this is, is something that is good news for all the world. And this is God's gift. One who has come to save people from their sins. And that demands worship, both in your outer being and in your inner being. In Romans 12, verse 1, after Paul, the Apostle Paul, has given us a lengthy understanding of what the gospel is, he tells us, Therefore I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, in response to the gospel, in response to all that you have come to understand about the gospel, worship. Present your life as an act of worship unto the Lord. Jonathan Edwards theologian speaks of this threefold movement concerning the glory and glorifying God and praising God. He says the first in this threefold movement is God's glory in his inner life of love. And so within this, the Godhead, that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's this perfection of love, perfection of unity, perfection of affection, perfection of intimacy, all these things that make for a good relationship. And then the second of this threefold movement is when out of the abundance of that glory in this triune relationship, God creates man in his image. He pours out his glory and he creates us and communicates with us so that we might then know who he is. And the third of this threefold movement is when his, his people participate in God's glory. It is when we respond to the knowledge of God with adoration and praise and affectionately move towards Him as He invites us into His triune relationship in glory. Right, so this is love within the Trinity that spills over in creating man in His image and God communicates who He is to man. And then in response, His people worship this is true, Godward, Christ-centered, Spirit-enabled worship. And it's a kind of worship that we want to give our lives to in response to who God is and what He has done for us. The passage points us to the great worth of God's gift. And true worship is when our entire being responds to the great worth of that gift in a way that showcases the worth of that gift. Now, secondly, the value of God's gift. There's an objective value to, the to the God's gift. Again, verse 11 says to us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, which then moves to worship. And this gift is Jesus Christ. By his very title, we see who he is, that he is one who is consecrated, one who is set apart by God 
for a specific task. In Isaiah 61, speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ, this one who is a gift to the world, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And later on in Jesus, in his life, he will go into the temple and read this very passage, and he will say, This day, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because he is the one who has been anointed by God, set apart. to set God's people free from their sins. Luke 1, verse 30. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Not only is this gift of great value because of what this gift has come to do, but also because this gift is the very Son of God. Children of royalty inherit the same dignity and respect of their parents. In Luke 20, verse 9, it speaks to this idea. This is Jesus telling a parable. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, and let it out to tenants, and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Now, why does the owner assume that his sending his son will mean that these wicked tenants will respect the son? Because, for, because the son goes on the father's behalf. Because to speak, for the son to speak is to speak the very words of the father. The presence of the son is the presence of the father. The dignity, the respect of the Father is also inherent to the Son, so that the Son not only represents the Father, but the Son is also the Father. And so this is what Jesus is as God's gift to the world. Not only does he speak the words of God, not only does he do the will and the works of God, not only does he teach us of God, not only does he represent God, but Jesus Christ is God, the Father. Now, his value also comes from what he has come to do. Again, verse 10 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then following that, his title, that is Christ, has, tells us everything about him, that he, what he has come to do. He was consecrated for a particular purpose, and Matthew one twenty one tells us, that Jesus has come into the world in order to save his people from their sins. That is what this gift has come to do. That is what this gift has come to accomplish. To break us free from the shackles of our sins. To destroy the power and the works of the devil. To provide deliverance from all those who are in darkness. 
to take the punishment for our sins. And so therefore, he is worthy of all praise. It is no, reason, it is no wonder then why there is this angel, these angels in heaven praising God. There's a reason why these, these shepherds are invited to come and participate and celebrate the Savior who has been born into the world because this Jesus is the great treasure of the world. Greater than the treasure that one man found and sold all to acquire this field where this treasure was. That Jesus Christ is the great pearl of great value worth selling everything for because nothing compares to having Jesus Christ. When it comes to determining the value of an object, sometimes we judge it by its rarity. Right? Is it common or is it rare? And Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son, meaning that there will be no other gift, meaning that there will be no other Savior. There is no other way by which men will be saved from their sins apart from Jesus Christ. And we judge the value of an object based on its usefulness. Can I use it? Would it be helpful to me? If not, then it's not really valuable to me at all. But Jesus Christ is the most useful gift for the world because only the gift of Jesus can save anybody from the judgment that their sins deserve. But one might ask, well, why isn't there more people worshiping the Lord Jesus? Doesn't this then mean that this gift is not as valuable or as praiseworthy as you make it out to be? Right? If he is this great value, then there should be more people worshiping. Does it not mean it's really not that valuable? But the problem doesn't lie with the gift, but the problem is with man. As I said earlier, we worship by nature. It is a natural response to things that we value, things that we hold dearly, things that we prize. But our problem is that we tend to worship those things that are not worthy of worshiping or valuing. valuing. Right, case in point, take the holiday season, for example. Wonderful time. Celebrate the holiday season, but it also has a propensity towards materialism. To be more focused on the objects of the holiday season, to thinking about those things. And Deuteronomy 8 warns us about forgetting the Lord because of materialism. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and living them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. We would be thinking of ourselves too highly if we thought that we would be impervious 
to the materialism of the world, to think that we could never forget the world because we have so much. But we have to recognize and admit to ourselves that there is this propensity in our sinful nature to prize the gifts rather than the one who ultimately gives us the gifts and the power and the ability to provide for ourselves. And because by nature we don't often worship the things that are worth worshiping, we're also just inconsistent across the board. Right? What one person values might not be valued by someone else. So for example, if somebody gifted me a Lamborghini, I'd be elated. I'd be super excited. Now, on the other hand, if you gifted something like that to my wife, she'd probably be like, huh? What is that? Why is that thing so ugly? Can I just give it away to somebody? Right? Because to her, it doesn't mean much to her. She doesn't care about that. But it doesn't remove the objective value of the object. The problem is that we can't agree on what is worth valuing. It tends to be subjective, or we respond subjectively, subjectively even to things that are worth valuing and prizing and making much of. We can't rightly value those things to the degree that we should. Even the things that we should value and do value to some extent, we don't value as strongly as we should. Hence why you might have a person who places more value on their job than on their family. Or you might have someone who values material objects over relationships. Or a Christian who values knowledge over right living. Or a Christian who values personal time to neglect of serving others. So we're inconsistent. We don't value to the degree the things that we should be valuing. And we tend to value the things that are not valuable. We tend to value cheap, sinful pleasures, cheap, wicked thrills, cheap moments of shameful indulgences, chasing cheap, carnal desires that ultimately never satisfy. And we are this way because all men, without exception, wear the cheap rags of sin. And because we always wear these rags of sin, there's a propensity to always go about hunting for bargains, buying those things that cost very little or nothing at all, but are valueless and are not good quality about them. And so we will buy the cheap rags of lust. We'll buy the cheap clothes of greed, of jealousy, of envy, of selfishness and self-centeredness. And for this purpose, Christ came into the world in order to awaken our hearts to worship what is worthy of worship, to recalibrate our hearts so that we place a right value on those things that are honoring to the Lord. So that we can value those things that are valuable and trash and mortify and flee from and disregard and ignore and cast away and stop shopping for the cheap bargains of sin that only enslave us and only make us deserving 
of God's judgment and wrath. Another question might be asked is, if Christ is supposed to be of extreme value, the most praiseworthy of all gifts, the gift that is deserving of all glory, why then wasn't this announcement made more public? I mean, it was only made to the shepherds, and there was probably a few others also who heard of this news and went to worship. If this news was so grand, why wasn't more publicized to bring more people to worship and celebrate and participate in ascribing value to this gift that comes from the hand of God? Well, remember, we are terrible worshipers and we are terrible at judging what, about what is valuable. But lack of worship does not always make something less valuable. And there are reasons why the value of Christ remains intact, even though there appears, appears to be very little worship in the giving of this gift. One reason is to protect the gift, namely from Herod, right, who upon hearing that another king had been born into the world saw it as a threat to his own throne and he sought to snuff out this gift by all means possible. Another reason why this gift isn't so publicized and many are not invited to participate and worship and prize the gift is in order to showcase the humility of Christ. Philippians 2.6 tells us of Jesus that he was in the form of God, yet did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The birth of Christ showcases the humility of Christ, a humility that would mark his entire life and ministry from the moment of his birth to the day of his death. Another reason why this event wasn't made as big as we might expect is in order for Jesus to be that much more acquainted with those that he came to save. Hebrews 4.15 Speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. Jesus wasn't born to royal parents. He was born in a manger, in the cover of the night, on a night, on a day that was just normal. And in this way that this Savior, this gift, came to be more acquainted with his people. And yet we do see so much celebration and so much worship that points to the great value of this great gift. We see it in the travel of the wise men. If you read the birth narrative, these wise men who have traveled far and wide to come and celebrate and worship the Savior who has been born into the world and, and, and honoring him by presenting gifts, we see this in the passage in the response of the shepherds who in haste go to see what the angels had made known to them. And in response, after seeing with their own eyes what God has done, they go and it says they praise God and glorify God. We see this in the opening of the curtains of the sky to reveal this heavenly choir so that even while there may not be a whole lot of worship happening at that time on earth, 
what we see is that there is actually this great celebration happening in heaven. And all these points to the great value and worth of this gift. All of these things serve to protect and showcase to us the great glory, the preciousness, the praiseworthiness of the gift has been given to us. And is there for us to embrace and to treasure as our greatest possession, which can only be acquired by faith in Him and not earned by man's cheap works. For these reasons, then, as we consider the holiday season that is before us, third and lastly, let us make much of Christ. Let us be intentional in making much of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? First, prize the gift that has been given to you. Again, consider the passage. There is a heavenly invitation extended to these nameless shepherds to go participate and celebrate this gift that's been given unto the world. And for us, who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not just simply invited to watch this heavenly choir sing praises, glory to God in the highest, but we also are invited to participate and join the choir of angels and celebrate and sing and praise and glory and honor the one who's been given to us. This invitation extended to all people, no matter how poorly you can sing, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you're guilty of, Christ in his life made friends with the rich and the poor, the strong and the weak, those who are healthy and those who are not, those who are highly esteemed and those who are despised by offering the forgiveness of their sins, which is received by making Christ their Savior by faith. And then all are invited to participate with the heavenly angels in glorifying Christ. Because this season is more focused on material objects, let us then be, make every effort to be intentional in making much of Christ. And making much of Christ, secondly, run the race for the prize. We run the race for the prize. As we run this race, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, there are certainly many distractions. There's so many advertisements that seek to lure us away, keep us away from fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the, deep, the cheap, sinful pleasures of the world and the flesh. So how do we keep our eyes fixed on the prize? First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Ephesians 5.19 commands us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks unto the Lord regularly keeps us focused and not distracted by the advertisements of the world. How often do you thank the Lord? Is it only on special holidays? Is it only when we come together on Sunday mornings? Is thanking the Lord, would you say that gratefulness characterizes your heart? 
Gratitude is a Christian response to what Christ has done for us on the cross. And thanksgiving functions as a constant reminder to us that God is ultimately the one who is the great dispenser of every good gift that we have. And it serves to remind us of the most precious gift that we receive, and that is Jesus Christ who's been given unto us. And so regardless of what you receive or you don't receive this holiday season, make every effort to maintain a thankful heart unto the Lord. As you're thinking about the prize and making much of Christ and not being distracted by the things of the world, you would do well in thinking well of others. And I know that typically a holiday season where it's sort of natural to us to think of others because it's a celebration, it's a holiday season where we do, or it is about thinking about others. But for believers, for Christians, the reason why we want to think of others, the reason why we give gifts to others is because we first and foremost recognize that much has been given to us. That God gave a great deal to us in sending His Son to us to live, to die, to rise again from the dead for our salvation. And it is that gift that then frees us and enables us and compels us and woos us to think of others. And not just thinking about family members and friends, which we naturally do, but we would also do well in thinking of others who perhaps you might expect may not receive much at all this holiday season, or may not have family and friends to celebrate with, or whose holiday season may be marked with a measure of sorrow because it reminds them of a loved one that they have lost in the past. Think well of others. Think of those that most people might not be thinking of during the holiday season and make them a priority. Let them know that you are thinking of them or praying for them. Or even just presenting, even just a small gift, to let them know, hey, I know you, I see you, and I appreciate you. If you want to continue to be fixed on the prize and not be distracted by the advertisements of the world, simply just stop shopping for sin. Whatever sins might entangle you today, whatever sins you're struggling with today, whatever it is that you are exchanging to buy the cheap pleasures of sin, let this be a season when that ceases. Instead, as Romans 12 commands us, present your body, your life, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. Thirdly, worship and participate with God's people. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a commandment. We are commanded to rejoice with one another. And so that's why we come Sunday mornings to rejoice with God's people, to make much of Jesus Christ, to prize Him as our greatest gift. Let us follow the example of the first church where it tells us that they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. 
And in this way, they show the great value of the gospel, the great value of Jesus Christ as Savior. And so let us make much of Jesus Christ by not doing anything less than what they did. And lastly, be intentional in prizing Christ during the holidays. Be intentional in your home. What can you do to think more on the birth of Christ and what has been gifted unto you? How can you display the worth of Christ in your home? If you were to invite a stranger into your home, would they be able to immediately tell that these people, that this person, that this family worships and prizes Christ? Perhaps consider an Advent reading to read as a couple, to think more on Jesus Christ during the holiday season. If you have children in the home, consider teaching your children, walking with them through the birth narrative, reminding them and teaching them that the reason why we celebrate most during the holiday season is because of what God has given to us, namely in sending His Son to be our precious and dear Savior. During the holiday season, you will go out to see families. I would encourage you to try to get people into your own home. The reason being because when you're in your own home, you can do whatever you want. So that you can pray, if you have many family members who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say, hey, we make much of Christ in our home. We value Christ. Christ is our Savior, and so we want to pray. Now, you may not like it, but we do whatever we want in our home as we decide that we want to pray. Think about the people that you're going to be meeting with during this holiday season. And begin now to pray for them if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for those opportunities Pray for the boldness, the courage to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who have yet to believe in his name. Pray before those events where you will see those individuals. And so let us make every effort to make much of Christ during the holiday season.